This is the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast for September 3rd, 2019. Welcome to the Everybody's Talking at Once podcast. My name is Drew Messenger Michaels. I'm glad you're here. I am in the high Sierras right now thinking about my life with my mom and a few other people. And uh, that fact, of course, has nothing to do with the fact that I just played Eliza, the Zachtronics visual novel. And uh, yeah, apropos of nothing, Matthew Sagey Burns is here to talk about the state of things in modern life. And uh, 30, being in your 30s, having hustled in your 20s and all that kind of stuff. I'm contemplative right now. And maybe uh, if you play the game and or listen to this interview, you will understand why. Enjoy. Thank you for being here. This I feel like this has been a long time coming because Zach Barth has been on the show multiple times, and we have praised your work at each other <laughs> a fair bit, but uh, you, you've never been on here, and in fact, you haven't done a whole lot of interviews in general, so I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, totally. Um, so we'll start in the most boring possible place and then branch out from there. For anybody sure. who hasn't heard of it or who has heard of it but only halfway or whatever, what exactly is Eliza? Eliza is a visual novel, um, and it's a story about kind of this AI therapist, uh, and it follows the people who use that therapist and the people who work on that therapist. Uh, the main character is uh, a woman named Evelyn Nishino Aubrey. She used to work on this program, and now she's kind of trying to figure out what she wants to do with the rest of her life. That's kind of, in a nutshell, what uh, Eliza is. Yeah, no, I mean, in that nutshell contains multitudes, right? Like some of the big themes of the game or like the concerns are what people's expectations for technology versus the way it actually works, which I do want to talk about. Uh, And then also sort of, you know, what hath God wrought as far as the way we rely on systems that we've built and the way we like to think of them as objective, but they're not. And then also burnout, right? Like, like Evelyn Mm -hmm. is is in the phase of life she's in because she sort of disappeared uh, off the face of the map as far as all of her friends and colleagues are concerned for three years. Mm -hmm. And it seems that is a story of our time, right? Like, I know you've talked before about how that comes from your life a little bit. I mean, like you, you did the AAA thing, you hustled in your twenties, like so many of us did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's like, it's different because it's not really a a Buildum's Roman, right? Like it's not a coming of age thing, but it's also not a midlife crisis story, right? It's not the, uh, it's not the middle aged English professor contemplating adultery. It's, it's something else. It's a different, less discussed phase of life. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's like kind of a phase of life that a lot of people, um, in our age group are starting to experience right now. And that was, uh, that was really important for me to to explore because, like you said, it's not it's not either of those kind of well established things. It's this sort of you work really hard in your twenties, and then you kind of pause for a bit, and you're just like, "Why did I do that? Like, what am I working for?" <laughs> right, right. Um, at least in my experience, it was like that, and I and I feel like there like a lot of people, um, my friends, and just the, the the general sense that I get is that uh, a, a lot of people are going through that. I totally agree. I mean, I've seen it and and it almost can recur, right? Because if you don't disappear for three years, but just for, you know, a month or six months, this happens a lot. Like a lot of my European colleagues will take all their vacation time at once if they're if they're lucky enough to work for a company where they get vacation time and are actually expected Mm -hmm. to take it, which not everyone is. But it's like they'll disappear for a month or even three months or something like that. And then they'll come back thinking, oh, I feel refreshed. But then in a year or even less, they need to disappear again. Right. So it's like (laughs) if you don't, it's like any kind of psychological problem, you know, like as a therapist will tell you if you don't like you're, you're never going to outrun it completely you're either going to deal with right. it head on or it's going to approach you from the back you know right and and it's, and because they're coming back to work they're coming back to the work environment that caused that problem in the first place so even right. taking a break from it doesn't necessarily solve the problems that are you know that are there right right so i mean some of what this game has to say is specific to tech at least in the way that it says it uh one of my favorite things about it is just that as you this is a very very minor spoiler because it happens in the very first scene of the game but as you see eliza work you get to you have an interface because you're you're you know to be clear you are you as a proxy for eliza are saying the lines 
that the uh, the AI AI feels like such a generous term for reasons we can yeah. talk about. But uh, but the, that the Eliza system. is feeding yeah. you the system exactly. Right. Um, you're you're reading the lines that that Eliza is feeding you, and you're also seeing Eliza process the client's reactions. And one of the things that I really adored was that you see Eliza not doing an especially great job of processing the language, like mm-hmm. misses a lot, misinterprets positive language as negative language and vice versa. It's like it, you're seeing behind the scenes for for um, into how sentiment analysis, as it's called, actually works. And the, mm-hmm. the distance between that and the idea of, oh, it's a robot that understands you perfectly and can replace a human therapist. The gap between the, the expectation and the reality is is mm-hmm. vast. I feel like there's a lot of um, whenever we try to come up with an engineering solution to a human problem that 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 expectation gap sort of sets in almost immediately. You see it with like moderation and social media and stuff. Oh, oh, yeah, exactly. And that's that's totally deliberate. Right. That was completely that was totally the point. It was to kind of think about like if this were if this were real, if a company were pushing this right now, what would it be like? And it would probably kind of be janky and not that great. And that's that's (laughs) totally on purpose. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, because like the the standard dystopian impulse or a standard dystopian impulse is to think, what would it look like if this actually worked? How would it ruin society if there were this perfectly engineered, the 1984 thing, right? If you had a perfect machine to oppress people or something. But that's never how uh, the first generation of something is, certainly. Whether it's designed to oppress or to help, it always does so, or really does both imperfectly. And that that, that's what kind of you know, that's what gets me about like technology today and like the internet right now, which is that like, it's, we, we think of it as this sort of maybe dangerous dystopian thing, but at the same time, it also like doesn't work half the time and it's frustrating. Um, and this was again, like, like using your imagination to, to create this piece of technology that's terrifying because it's too good just didn't feel like it reflected reality to me. It's more like this technology (laughs) is terrifying and it also doesn't work. Um, right. That would almost be a good problem to have, having a piece of uh, like a such a perfect tool that it can either save or destroy the world. And it's just about putting it in the right hands like that trope <laughs> doesn't really apply to real technology very well. No, no. I was so. Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely thinking about this, like um, AI, your, you know, your AI assistants. I feel like um, many of the times I see people like talk to their Alexas, the Alexa doesn't understand what they're saying or the whole hype about self-driving cars that was like self-driving cars are coming tomorrow and then suddenly they weren't coming and all, <laughs> you know, just, just things like that. I thought it was more realistic to have Eliza be a, a system like that and more, more reflective of, of the reality of it. Yeah. And, and jank, not, not jank aside, but in addition to the jank, Eliza actually is a step further than most. I mean, like if we want to be grandiose, we'll say AI. If we want to be uh, derogatory, we'll say chatbots, Right. But like as some mm-hmm. characters in the game do, but, Eliza does a thing that Siri doesn't do and Alexa doesn't do, which is remember the first part of the conversation in the second part of the conversation. That's like one of the big things that a lot of conversational systems, natural language processing, haven't overcome yet. You know, you say, That's Siri, right, yeah. Siri, what, what movies are showing in my, you know, in my neighborhood today? And she tells you, and then you say, what about tomorrow? And she says, what about tomorrow? Right, um, right, right. Yeah. Like Eliza can do that. So it's like it is, I, the game is not super clear as to whether it's right now, but just, you know, a right now we could have, or whether it's near future, or even if it's distant future and just we haven't gone as far as we thought we might uh and i think i feel Mm. like that ambiguity is also kind of resonant yeah yeah it's definitely meant to be contemporary you know Mm -hmm. whatever that uh (laughs) means but like so sort of a a modern day kind of story it's it's definitely not like far in the future or like a time that's just that's not relevant to right now it's really it's really meant to be like about right now Definitely. I mean, and even stories about the future are kind of about right now, right? But this one like really That's wears true. it on its sleeve where it's like, you know, it. however far AI gets, we're still going to have pod coffee and, and whatever. Right. <laughs> right. That's the, right. The, yeah. The other aspect of the way is there's there's a, co- a lot of aspects just to the way that proxies work, as they're called, the people who read out loud what, what Eliza's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, there, it's gendered labor within the game. I saw you talk about the game at the Strand That's Bookstore right. and somebody asked, yeah. like, canonically in world are all proxies women? And your, your answer, if I recall, not to put words in your mouth, was kind of like, well, I mean, not necessarily, but the fact that it's presented that way in the text is very intentional. Yes. Yeah. So so I think the the way it works in the story is that, you know, you, you don't have to be a woman to be a proxy. Anyone can do it. But it just ends up being that way um, because of the way that that women are associated with emotional labor, uh, To just to be completely honest. And I and I thought that, like, if there was a system like this 
that job would sort of become associated with with women uh, uh, because of that. There's really only Not two for nothing are all those personal assistants. Generally, there are a few exceptions, but generally they're they're coded female as well. Siri, Ab- absolutely, and like Siri. You're right, right. All of those AI voices are coded as female, and people have asked why, and it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really change. Like it feels like that sense of the way technology should be is just weirdly persistent. Yeah, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy to a certain degree, because it's like, well, why are they coded female? Well, because people expect it. Well, okay, why do people expect it? Well, because the ones they've interacted with are coded female. You know, it becomes that mm, thing. Yeah, that, yeah, that kind of for sure. Logic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was going to say the other thing about proxies besides besides the gendered labor aspect, which I, I found really on point, is that it's it's it ties into the gig economy. This is something that yes. someone can do as basically... Uh, it, it's almost pure emotional labor in the way that sometimes gig economy or really any job, right? A lot of jobs can be. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, emotional labor, like sort of in the proper sense, like it was a Donna Haraway, right? Like the original idea of like, mm-hmm. if you're a cashier, you have to smile at the customers. If you're a consultant, you have to be reassuring about the customer's problem, whatever. Mm-hmm. Your job here is not to analyze or to, or to know the DSM or whatever. Your job is to do what the machine thinks you should do, say what it thinks you should say convincingly like a human. Mm-hmm. And be it just be a presence for someone right. to to be have emotions at you, right, right. Exactly. Um, and so it's yeah, you know, it's the gig economy version of emotional labor. It's like Uber for emotional labor, you know. Yeah, I mean, and if you get an Uber driver to or Lyft or, or whatever, get one of those folks to open up. You know, there's a fair bit of emotional labor in what they do too. It's dealing with drunk people and it's dealing with unreasonable people, and it's like oh sure, yeah, absolutely. Like different different rides can have absolutely have a component of, of of that, right? And and arguably, you know, people like if you are an Uber driver, you might try to do that in order to get a better like rating or a better tip or something like that in the system. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's reflected in in, in Eliza uh, is that it's gamified the same way it is with with uh, with Uber, right? People started complaining about yeah. shady Uber drivers, and they said, "Like, why do you talk to the the riders so much?" And it's like, "Well, you gamified it. You you wanted the rider to click fun conversation, and you rewarded us right. for doing so. So now we talk to them, right? That right, that right. idea of like, there, there's something especially skeezy about gamifying emotional labor, you know? And and Uber did it semi accidentally, whereas in Eliza, it's very much uh, it's very much intentional within the world yeah. of the game, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get ratings and things like that. People, people, uh, a, f- a few people kind of didn't get the point of that. I think some the, there were a couple comments uh, I saw that were like, "I can't, I can't choose what I say. So why, why would, does the game rate me at the end?" And it's like <laughs> I ah, love those comments that are like just on the edge of getting the point. Exactly, you're very close to getting to getting it. Um, <laughs> that was funny. No, it's, yeah, it's a, why is why is everything kind of <laughs> broken down in Blade Runner? It's like, OK, you're so close. You're so close right, to getting right. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the we, we should say before we leave both the gig economy and and really especially the gendered thing too far behind, we should mention that. And this is mentioned in the game that Eliza is called Eliza because the first, again, chatbot, I guess would be the proper term, was called Eliza and was uh-huh. sort of an attempt at making an AI therapist. Um, sort of. Yeah. Sort of, kind of, right? It was, it was, it's Rogerian therapy, which means it basically just, it recognizes certain patterns, like it'll tell you what it's not interested in and try to keep you on track. Like, let's not talk That's about right. me, let's talk about you. But mostly right. it'll just sort of reflect the question back at you. I just started, I, there's a, a version on the web you can play with, and I was just feeding it lyrics from the musical Cats, and that was pretty fun. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Eliza is, the, the original Eliza is kind of fun to play with. I'll, I'll say, though, that, you know, uh, the creator of Eliza, Joseph Eisenbaum, wasn't wasn't trying to make like a real therapist right? sure sure he was he was playing around with with the technology and saying like oh this like if it if you have a chatbot that like turns everything around at you it makes it feel more realistic without actually understanding anything mm-hmm. and and so the point was that he wasn't actually trying to say like this is going to be a cool therapy tool um but other people did do that after he made it and he actually he actually kind of disagreed with them on the on the potential of it for therapy a bunch of like actual therapists and kind of technology boosters saw Eliza and they were like, Oh my gosh, we're going to have like these computer therapy bots, you know, within the next 10 years. And that's going to be awesome. This was the 1960s, by the way. Um, And, and, but, but the creator of Eliza was not on board with that. You know, he did it as a, as a kind of a, uh, to, to write a paper about it and as an intellectual exercise. And he disagreed that, that that meant that you should be using this for, for therapy. 
Right, right. That's a really important point, right? He chose that specific form of therapy where you're, you're really just listening and offering a supportive response, specifically right. because it would be easy, relatively speaking, to simulate, not because it exactly. was the best way to provide therapy and certainly not because he thought that a machine could provide that kind of therapy effectively. Right. And in, and in fact, he was so um, he, he was so disturbed by the, 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 the way everyone else was kind of talking about this. He, he wrote almost an entire book about how computers shouldn't be used to do things like this. It's called Computer Power and Human Reason, uh, 1975, Joseph Eisenbaum. Uh, it's kind of a, a rare note of, of skepticism uh, in a time when people were very uh, sanguine about the potential of computers, right? To, to change everything in our society and, and, and do every, like take over our, the, the way everything works. He, he, like at this time, he was one of the few people who were just saying like, is this really good? Like, should we, should we be doing this? Um, and it wasn't about the technological, uh, power. He, he, he kind of said like, even in the future, if there is a computer that is perfectly capable of providing therapy, we should be asking ourselves like, not, is it capable of doing it, but is it, is that right? Is it right, right for right. a computer to, to, to provide therapy to a human being or should human beings provide therapy to human beings? Because only a human, <clears throat> you know, can really understand and relate to another human being. And that's morally the correct thing to do that was sort of his uh, approach to that yeah which is i mean even i would say even now that's not something that technologists futurists whatever stop to think about all that much like when you there, there is plenty of hand hand wringing about morality but it's more about it's more about the how than the weather we're doing it mm -hmm. you know it's it's yeah. not should we do this you know because is it fundamentally a bad idea it's just how can we do it in a way that is more efficient and therefore better and more moral you know what i mean like right. it's it, there's this there's this thought that just with enough computing power any problem can be solved with computing power and i have not read that book you mentioned it at the strand i will definitely check it out uh and i and i recommend and you and you by the way thank you for having like a straight up citation i, I want to talk oh, about sure it. yeah i want to talk I, about I mean, the zach the zachtronics <laughs> you know devotion to primary research but it's like yeah. that is it's such an important note because it's very different from what if the world goes wrong because our technology is too good it's like well what should we be doing in the first place what is the project you know exactly yeah and that's kind of a thread of of criticism of technology that's been lost a little bit you know or, or at least not not as explored as much as it could be um, I'll say that computer power and human reason is not exactly a page turner. It's a bit, it's a bit uh, dry and 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 uh, a little bit, you know, it's not, it's not like this amazing, amazingly written polemic or anything like that. But I think it's a very uh, important and interesting artifact of its time, and 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 like I said, kind of a, a line of argument that has been lost a little bit in in recent times. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, it, it being um, it being a little bit wonky and specific and not uh, not not written in a poppy way is not necessarily going to stop nerds who listen to this podcast, in my experience. But okay. it's a fair well, thing good. to know. I just yeah, want yeah, yeah. yeah, I just want to put that out there. <laughs> yes. And you know, and everyone listening, you know, I say nerds with all the love in the world, love and respect. Um, <laughs> I think I think that mode of criticism or that strain shows up every so often with like people who were involved in the development of the early internet. I feel like when Tim Berners-Lee shows up in public, that's sort of the mm, tone of like, like right. yes, we yes, we can do this stuff. Yes, it's getting shinier, but wait, what are we doing? You know, right. it's not lost completely, but it's definitely not what you see at, I mean, certainly not at like tech industry conferences, right? But not really right. TED Talks either. They're more about like, you know, what if I told you that we can solve this specific problem in this specific way? Thanks for coming. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's less about the larger philosophical system into which the work of engineering computer stuff fits. Right, right. Yeah. The other thing I find really compelling about it, though, is like Eliza makes visible a problem that exists in human therapy as well. The whole thing about building systems, right? When you build an AI and you make the audience aware that humans built the AI, uh, it's it's very clear that like, okay, this is a thing that works on its own, but it, it has values embedded in it. People made choices, all right. of that. But that's, that's true even in regular therapy. Didn't mean to cut you off. I was just going to say yeah, like, yeah. the DSM is like that too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There is a, an, an element of kind of uh, questioning of actual therapy itself too, um, which is uh, another, another layer of, of Eliza that I think um, uh, Rob Zachney, uh, the writer at, at, Waypoint Vice uh, really picked up on, uh, mm -hmm. which was which was cool to see. But I, I, yeah, some of that is based on experience, you know, personal experience with uh, mental health and the way the way mental health is addressed uh, in the system. Part of that is based on on interviews I conducted with with people who provide mental health. But there there really is a system, and there really is like uh, specific things that you're supposed to do or say depending on which type of of um, 
therapy or counseling you go to. And sometimes that even in itself feels not very human. Um, so, you know, even real therapy can feel uh, sort of programmatic in, in that way. And that that's definitely something that Eliza gets into as well is just like, how, how do you how do you deal with this thing where you, where you're you have the, these very very human problems and emotions and you're kind of coming up against this like script really if you look at at CBT um, cognitive behavioral therapy materials uh, f- the the materials for the the counselors they they really are like like scripts you know they 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 really are like if if the client says this you should say this or or mm. things like that um, I wouldn't accuse all therapists of working that way certainly. Um, but it's, it's kind of remarkable the, the degree to which it really is codified like that for something that's supposed to be such a, such a, you know, human squishy, non-scientific thing that at least that I would think this whole mess of, of, you know, mental problems is right. Um, yeah. It, it comes out of the era of capital M modernism, where there was no there was no problem so squishy that we couldn't harden it and coagulate right. it into a hard science, you know? Right, exactly. And and so even just seeing those, um, you know, even even seeing that is is also a component of of what is going on there. For sure. Is there is there one thing that that, for example, sticks out in your mind that a, a practicing therapist told you they either wanted to do but couldn't or didn't want to do but felt like they had to as a result of that script? I think a big um, a big thing I took away from from um, an interview I did with a with a licensed counselor who worked in in kind of a state backed system like a like a government system was how much everything was was hooked up to to metrics. Um, when hmm. you when you go in, you 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 take all these survey questions, right? Like, I've I've gotten angry three or more times in the past week. Um, how are you feeling right now on a scale from one to ten? Um, I am having trouble sleeping. You know, on a scale from one to five, do you agree or disagree with this statement? Things like that, right? Um, they call them sometimes they they're called inventories the such and such depression inventory, the such and such anxiety scale. And if you are in these systems, you are constantly taking those tests. Um, that is the way that, that, that they determine if you have a problem and that, that's how they diagnose what the problem is and, and things like that. So everything is, is hooked up to these metrics and you're constantly taking surveys and everything is about kind of like codifying your feelings into these, into these numbers. You know, how do you feel right now? One, 10? five uh <laughs> right things like right. that there's next yeah there's an even and that happens with regular medicine too like pain scales right like it's so subjective yes yeah yeah, yeah. uh-huh exactly so um that was that was one of the biggest things that i took away just from 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 speaking with that person was just that like everything that they do that they that it has to be informed by these uh these inventories and 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 by the the surveys that that they make their clients constantly take hmm and and sometimes this stuff has like true hardline what you have to do implications, legal implications. Like if it's, a, it's a, these inventories, from what I understand, are partly how you determine how someone is potentially a danger to themselves or others, and whether right. they it, need to be straight up institutionalized. So like this is right. not low stakes stuff. No, not at all. It, it's it it basically determines your diagnosis, right? Yeah, and your diagnosis can can affect all kinds of things. Um, right. So that, I mean, that is algorithmic in a certain sense, right? It's just, it's, it happens to be a book and people's memories as opposed to a computer program. And it's, you know, I mean, most famously the DSM has been sort of out of joy I should say you've been better about, uh, uh decoding acronyms than I have the diagnostic <laughs> and statistical manual of mental disorders. Is that what that stands for? The DSM. Um, yeah. The DSM in general is, is I think everything, but it has a big mental, uh, section. Yeah. 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 And it's, I mean, you know, very famously, it's it's a bit fraught as far as how it deals with gender dysphoria right now. And for a very long time, I believe until the fourth edition, we're currently on the fifth, it classified homosexuality as a mental disorder. So yeah, even what it is we're diagnosing and what counts as a pathology is so subjective and has been dead wrong in the past. Yeah, uh-huh. it completely reflects um, societal constructions of like what what the problems are, I would say it reflects in a very delayed way, like, like these social constructions of what we call, um, um, pathologies, like you said. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's, and, and it's come in for a lot of criticism for that. I think rightly so. 
Yeah. I mean, I to make it a little personal, my, my dad is gay and his first experience with therapy was in the 50s when, you know, the entire reason he was sent to a therapist was to convince him that perhaps he didn't need to be gay. Right, uh, right. So it has taken him until, you know, this point in life to even consider seeing a therapist again, because I think, you know, I think I think you'd get something out of it. I think most people would get something out of it if you matched with the right therapist, um, right. But having which, is such a bit, a which is a big experience. If. At, yeah, at, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is yeah, that yeah. is a non-trivial thing. That's not like a yeah. four stars instead of five. That's like a like why in the world would you ever consider going back to a thing that was actually like built to harm you in right. a certain sense, you know? And again, not intentionally. I'm sure whatever therapist he saw at the time was doing what what they thought was the right thing, but you know, they were like disastrously harmfully wrong, mm-hmm. and that's scary, mm-hmm. right? It's hard to it's it's frightening to remember that there is no hard science to this stuff. There is no perfect manual. There is no flow chart that'll get you to a to a virtuous and beneficial result, you know? Right, right, and and that's you know kind of makes me wonder. So like, what are we getting wrong today, right? Because like, yeah, yeah, not that long ago we were so wrong about about certain things, and I, I just feel like. It's so easy to to build an app or or something that says, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna make people feel better. We're gonna solve mental health or whatever." But like, considering how it, you know how harmful some of some of these interventions actually ended up being, again, not that long ago, um, I just think it's very important to to be careful about with this kind of stuff, you know, and 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 think about it very carefully and make sure that that what we're doing is is the right thing and and not more harm than good. Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, eugenics were generally accepted among a lot of people not very long ago. Yeah, um, exactly. You know. So it's good to it's good to remember that. I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll link to a really good. There's a podcast called Science Versus that just like takes you know some topic that people have a lot of feelings about, such as you know such as fracking or abortion, and says, okay, 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 but what do we actually know? And uh, there's an episode about eugenics that's just like, here is an example of when science got something incredibly, incredibly disastrously wrong. And here's what the result was. So, you know, it's it's a good another way into how this stuff can be subjective. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So so speaking of sort of that, that's like subjectivity in another sense of the word. Another big theme in this game is like, what is a person's responsibility to themselves and to the world? That sounds huge. And it is. But I think the game actually tackles it in a pretty comprehensible way. Uh, what effect are you having on the world by doing your job? Uh, yeah. What responsibility do you have to do something different? I feel like that's that's very much like perhaps the question of our times when most people work for a company that's owned by a company that just generates profits for another company where that like the chain of mm-hmm. causality between what your labor and the effect on the world mm-hmm. is just so long and twisty that it can be really tough to know what to do, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's something that, that that's something that sort of like i think ties eliza into the other zactronics games actually uh even though on the surface they're they're completely different right they're completely opposite games uh zactronics games are known for being these kind of puzzle programming games and eliza is a visual novel where you don't have to do any programming at all uh, and and anyone can play it but the zactronics games the puzzle programming games actually do have this component of like kind of interrogating why you're doing this and and what you're doing it for um that's not something that i just put in for myself i mean that's something that zach and i talk about a lot and and like you said i we i think we both think that that is a very important question uh, especially for people who who do work with technology people who program and since uh programmers are often the audience of the of the other zectronics games um the I mean, that's just that's something that you really have to consider. Like you are programming uh, for what, uh, for what purpose, um, for what reason, uh, what are you using your your skill um, for? Right. Uh, and that's again, that's something that comes up in, in multiple uh, Zactronics games. Yeah. Yeah. And that theme of thinking about the why of, of why you do what you do. I mean, it certainly comes up in Opus Magnum uh, in a very different way in Exapunks. Uh, in all of them, I, I'm really glad mm-hmm. you said that this is not so far removed in some ways from other Zactronics games, because ob- in some superficial or not even superficial, in some obvious ways, it is quite yeah. different as far as yeah. Zactronics mm-hmm. games go. But it is still a game about work, and it's a game about what your work means and how it fits into a larger world. And t- you know, yes. to whatever degree you're on autopilot and not solving puzzles or programming things, that sort of struck me as kind of the point. That that's how, I mean, Ray, uh, uh, you know, your 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 boss at the at the uh, the center where you're a proxy straight up says like you know a lot of jobs are like that you don't have a whole lot of choice you know i right. mean that seemed to me an important comment on the kind of work most people do yes for sure 
Um, you show up and you and you don't have a choice. You have to do the thing that they tell you to do in exactly the way that they tell you to do it. It's also a, a sly comment on the on the way the game is designed. Um, sure. You don't have any choice when you play. You know, the entire first two thirds of the game is is basically completely linear. Um, and that's a, a very deliberate choice on, on my part to design it that way. So um, but it but that comment of Ray's kind of ties that design choice in with with the theme and, and the, you know, the, what's going on in the in the story, too, which is like when you show up for whatever job you're going to do, you just have to you, you, usually you just have to do the job or else you'll get fired. Um, and so you don't have a choice in in that. <laughs> right, right. I mean, engineers tend to think of themselves as tiny gods who can wield all this incredible power. But I think I think part of the point is thinking, you know, wh what meaningful choices are you actually making? Like whether you're doing intellectually taxing work or not may not have much to do with how much agency you have. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. One of the one of the things Zach said was when you when you were writing Exapunks when you when you know the whole team was developing it, that was a word that kept coming up in the primary research you were doing was was not privacy or security or whatever but agency like having the ability mm -hmm. to have control over your your life with technology and the way you, you interact with it. I feel like that's another thread that's been lost in the way we talk about technology publicly these days. People don't oh, think yeah, about absolutely. it that way anymore. No, not at all. In the '90s, everyone was very was was very. Um, bullish on the idea of technology kind of being a, this liberating force and that you could make decisions, you know, technology would allow you, would, would give you more power. Right. And, and right. yeah, agency. Um, yeah. We talk about access sometimes now, but it, but it's almost as though the rest takes care of itself. Once everyone has, once everyone has fiber optic internet and, uh, and a Chromecast, we're done. You know, everyone has what they need, which is the power to consume stuff, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, you know, post a comment. That isn't really how people thought about it in the '90s. They thought about it in terms of like disrupting systems and and getting getting access to like like the idea of accessing information as a radical first step, as opposed to an end unto itself. Right. Yeah. And that your your in agent, your intelligent right. agent, would find things for you, like it would shop for you, or it would like you <laughs> right. know give you things that you actually wanted. Whereas I think now we look back on that and 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 laugh but you know because now we know that everything is like going to be mediated through like advertising and that like if you see something it's because like someone wanted you to see it and this idea of like this neutral agent which was like genuinely just trying to like help you and find something you genuinely wanted is like such a such a far cry from the what what our world is right well it's like people talk uh still with with utter seriousness about the singularity and i've i've said on this show before uh and bounced this idea off other people that we're sort of already past the singularity in a certain sense like the idea of human intelligence and machine intelligence augmenting each other is precisely what happens when i don't know how to get somewhere so i bring up google maps like the interface is super clunky but i'm the one navigating in space and i may be making decisions or second guessing it but it's accessing this vast library of data and giving me instructions right it's like mm -hmm. this feedback loop between humans and machines we do that all the time like whether we're using uh, a map program or whether we're trying to remember <laughs> hey is that voice actor in eliza from another game i've played is that is you know is that somebody you know like all those kinds of qu and the answer is yes to that in several instances by the way <laughs> but like that already is human intelligence and machine intelligence together each ideally doing what it's good at but i think mm -hmm. we're held back by not thinking of it that way we're just thinking of it generally or we're encouraged to think of it in terms of pure convenience you know mm -hmm. yeah yeah. Like what is what is your responsibility <laughs> when you're using that stuff is not something people ask that much or if they do they ask it in a very scoldy like David Carr is Google making us dumb kind of way. Yeah, I think um I mean that's a that's another thing about Eliza which is that it asks you to make small small trade-offs for convenience in certain cases um and that's just reflective of the real world, I think. Um like uh things things that just happen in the background of Eliza right like um, mm -hmm. the emails that you get and other things like that you you see it going on you you see the the kind of like the world that we live in right now there's one part where I, I don't want to spoil too much but there's a small moment where you get an email where a company apologizes for like losing your survey responses um, <laughs> because someone just broke in and, and stole them all that's just that's like a that's just reflective of like real life um, it's based on an incident where I responded to a survey and gave my email address because there's a chance at winning something. Mm. And I wanted to, you know, I wanted like a free audio program or whatever. 
So I did. And then later, like a few months later, they, they sent out that message of like, oh yeah, also someone stole all our, all your responses to the survey, which is not the worst thing in the world, but it was just like this funny moment of like, oh yeah, at any moment, like any, like, like stuff that I do could just sort of like go out onto some somewhere and who knows where it is now. yeah you wrote you wrote down some personally identifying information on a card and put it in a box at the county fair and it hadn't occurred to you that someone could just take the box and run you know because you, you weren't thinking of it as doing that you were thinking yeah. of oh it's the internet yeah. this is a one-way transmission from me to to these folks and i have an incentive to do it so let's do right. it right and no one and, and i don't know why anyone would want you know my survey responses about like how I use audio programs or whatever, but it was just this funny thing. That's like the, it's just like the b background of our lives now mm -hmm. that this is a thing that just kind of like regularly happens. Um, data breaches, you, know, you mean? Yeah. Data just, breaches. Just, and just, just like, Oh, change, everyone change your passwords. Like, and it's just something that you need to like be aware of is a thing in this world. And, and that's, that's another component of kind of portraying. I, I you know, I wanted to portray that in, in, in the game as well. Absolutely. And, and also, I mean, it portrays the other side of that equation as well, which is what you were just gesturing at. Why do people want this data? What do they plan to do with it? Very mm -hmm. often they don't know. They're they're still figured like the idea is just uh, we're, we're sort of coming out of this period where every company was just collecting as much data as they possibly could. And then the thought was they would figure out what to do with it later. The, you know, the, the big data yeah. revolution or whatever. Now companies are really starting to think about like, okay, what can we do with this? Is some of this data junk, you know, like what do we actually want? Let's be more targeted, which is in some ways smarter, in some ways scarier, uh, but still pretty bumbling in a lot of cases. I, I think we're just starting to figure out which questions to ask and why they matter and all that and, you know, and how mm -hmm. to get people to take surveys, which, you know, offering them a gift card or a chance to win something is usually the best way. Because what is in it for you beyond that? You know, like it's I, right. the idea that you're going to see the product improved in some way as a, as a direct or indirect result of your answering a survey is like, it, it, I don't think people grok that, you know? No, no, def definitely not. And and so, it you know, the end effect of this, I think, is just this sort of like chipping away at, at like this whatever sense of like an individual self that we had just kind of it's just like all kind of being munged in with everything else and that that's that's something that comes up in, in eliza as well which is that like when you talk to these proxies and when you talk to eliza it, it is like recording everything you say and putting it in a big database and, and doing something with it right it's potentially um analyzing it and the company would say it's it's improving Eliza's ability to respond to you. Um, but it's also a little weird because like you were talking about your, your feelings and your, and, and your pathologies. And it just all goes into this like huge, um, archive of everyone's. Yeah, uh, we thoughts. do. We do have a version of that already. It's called Facebook where you just right. you put your least, you, your least flattering self out there to be archived and, and also publicly displayed instantly, right. which Eliza right. at least doesn't do. Um, but you could, you know, you could imagine like being a, being a scientist, a data scientist at, at Facebook and, and just thinking, wow, this is a really interesting data set to work with, which is just like everyone, everyone's uncle's terrible political opinions. Like, <laughs> what can we, what can I do with this? Can I, is there something like that I can like find out about or, or emulate or whatever? Um, because when you have post be, by posting on Facebook, you have agreed to like participate in, in whatever Facebook wants to do with it pretty much. Um, right. And yeah, so every once, in a, every once in a great while, people realize like, oh, the specific piece of information the survey is asking me for is a, is a really common security question on, you know, like when I, when I if I <laughs> right. forget my password or something, maybe this was a terrible idea, you know. But beyond right. that, I think we're we're sort of trained not to think about it too much. We've gotten used to everything being free, wiggling my mm -hmm. fingers, because uh, the price is, like you said, a little bit of privacy. Right. And, and so portraying that in Eliza, like, I, th I think a few people thought that I was being critical um, of, of tech or being cynical about tech by portraying those things. But I actually, independent of my own feelings about that, I actually think what I was, what I was really doing in my, my aim there was to portray it simply as it is. And to say like, this is what a tech company does when, when you interface with them. Yeah, and some people were just like, "Oh, why are you so down on tech companies?" And it's like, I'm I'm not actually saying, I'm not doing the dot dot dot, and that's bad part of it. I'm I'm like literally like in Eliza, it just says like, "Oh, we we do this," and that's literally what tech companies really do. Um, and and the idea is really just to portray it uh, clearly and say, "Look, this is this is what's happening." 
I mean, we haven't talked too much about how you have these pitch perfect portraits of people you meet in tech. I mean, all over the <laughs> all over, really, but especially in tech. Uh, if you don't want to go past it, if, if you don't want to establish a spoiler event horizon, then I'll just say names. Mark is a person I have uh-huh. definitely met. Soren <laughs> with his lack of boundaries and right. fumbling references to kink in inappropriate <laughs> settings. That's definitely a real thing. Uh-huh. Rainer's Rainer's whole golden boy attitude. Uh, mm-hmm. Like all of that stuff is extremely real, but I, I don't think any of it is meant to be just sort of a, a mean-spirited parody. You're not really meant to like derisively laugh at these people or think of it as hopeless. I think yeah. Ray is a very important character in that sense because she is a person who believes it is possible to do the right thing, to do vastly more good than harm in aggregate mm-hmm. within the system you're given. And I right. think that is how most people acting in good faith in tech companies or really any kind of companies live their lives. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Ray, like you said, Ray is a tremendously important character for that reason. Um, because it is true, right? Like if, if everyone working at Google thought that Google was, was a malign force and, and evil, like it wouldn't, I don't think that it would exist. Right. I think that most people who work at Google, um, think that probably the end effect is, is better than, than worse. Uh, even if some of them may have misgivings about, so, you know, specific decisions that the company makes or, or problems that the company might have. Um, when you, when you are part of a system, I think it, I think it's a couple things like, like some, some people really do still believe in the, in the promise of, of, of technology to improve the world. And I wanted to represent that. I think that's important. I think it explains why a lot of people still do the things that they do. Um, and I also think that like when you are part of a large system and you're benefiting from it, um, it's also very easy to kind of rationalize away, uh, the concerns that, that do come up, uh, because you're inside right. the system. I think both and, are true. You know, yeah. You're dependent on it. And I, I was just going to say, I think I think Ray captures both sides of that beautifully because she is a true believer in a certain sense. But how much of that is what you have to believe in order to get up every day and go to work and how much of it is something she's really thought soul searchingly about and really come mm-hmm. to that conclusion. And that, of course, raises the question of, well, how often do most of us really like go on a retreat and walk around in the mountains and think about why we believe what we believe and how much right, of it is right. just to get us through the day? It's a pretty normal right. human thing, really. It is. And she's not, she's also not like a blind believer, right? She's not no, like not a cult, cultist for the company. She, I think she actually has a pretty clear, um, pretty clear head about like what trade-off she's making. She's, but she's just telling you that she's, you know, she's okay with that trade-off. Um, and that's, again, that's, yeah, that's an important, an important thing to, to portray. Uh, as for the other characters, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, everyone, everyone who has worked at a big tech company knows a mark. Um, and has absolutely worked with Mark and, and has I, read Mark's I, goodbye email, by the way. And has, um, <laughs> I, love, I really love, uh, yeah. Um, no, it's, it's been so great talking with other people and kind of like sharing that experience and being like, oh yeah, I worked with a guy uh, with a Mark. And, and that's just like, I don't know. It makes me laugh a lot to, to <laughs> yeah have that shared experience and be like, ah, yeah, it's that guy. Right. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, that's the beauty of telling a story about a part of life or a sector of life that doesn't get told that much is like all of these things that didn't have cultural figures attached to them that made, you know, feelings I hadn't really put words to mm-hmm. all that stuff kind of shows up there. And I have these touchstones with other people who work in tech or have worked in tech or whatever. Like that's, that's the sense in which you exploring the space narratively in such an effective way is kind of like a, like a gift. Like it's really, it's been nice. <laughs> Thanks. I've had that same experience you. you have. And I'm sure it's, you know, it's obviously, extra gratifying for you because you wrote the you wrote the damn thing um and and we should we haven't actually you know we alluded to voice actors but Mm -hmm. you know this has a lot more voiced work in it than previous zachtronics games um it's sort of a it's a full cast and you you directed the voice cast in addition to doing the writing is that uh, is that correct correct yes yeah so and you got these um, performances out of them that were that are uncommonly naturalistic uh for the game i think Um, i think that was important to you that was definitely important um before yeah uh so so i you know i wrote all the scripts and then and then when we went into the to the recording booths with the actors i i kind of i didn't say like don't stick to the script but i did say like naturalism is the most important uh quality that we're going for here and kind of didn't didn't try to like top down like say like this has to be this specific way uh, it was more like trying to like help the actor find the character on their own 
And I think that's a big reason why the acting works the the way it does. Um, a lot of video game acting is very kind of um, buttoned down. You have to say the exact line. You have to say it a very certain way. Uh, you have to inflect things in a certain way because maybe the game is going to like combine lines on their own. Um, the form of the visual novel is kind of nice act in, in that respect because you can you can do a full performance. Um, when you play a game like Mass Effect, for example, um, there's 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 so much choice and you you actually like Commander Shepard's actor doesn't know if, if you're going to have this conversation before that other conversation. Right. You don't know like like you don't know if you're going to do this mission before this other mission or or whatever. And so everything that Commander Shepard says is actually in this very even keel. There isn't really an mm -hmm. arc um, that, that develops over the course of the game because there's so much that's like nonlinear. Um, the nice thing about the keeping keeping the game very linear, one of the things that actually allows you to do as a performer is build a real arc into the into the characters. And so, uh, you know, you, you hear that with Evelyn, the main character, she, she kind of starts uh, still in the throes of, of a kind of a, an emotionally uh, depressive period and then opens up a little bit over the course of the game. Um, you hear that in some of the, the therapy clients. Maya goes on a, on a huge journey uh, over the course of her four uh, therapy sessions uh, that you that you participate in. And, and, and that was, a, a, I think, that really makes the characters come alive a lot more and um, really helps them like kind of express who they are in a way that I, that's very important to this game because it's a game ultimately about humanity, right? It, it's a game about, about people. Um, even though a lot of people have seen the game and said, it's a game about AI. Uh, it's not really right. Like, like <laughs> it's really like, not. It's Eliza is, is Eliza itself is an AI, but it is, it is, a device to to talk about humans and humanity um so yeah no it's uh -huh. it's meta i mean I, you said i wasn't actually sure there if you meant eliza the game or eliza the thing in the game because the statement applies to both right like it's, it does it's a, <laughs> it, it actually a, does yeah a form of technology that reveals things about humanity now for sure i mean the the performances in the game are incredible um and you know i mean and and your and your writing is sharp as hell in case that wasn't clear i, I like i don't want to <laughs> leave that unsaid like it's a really really beautifully written thing um Thank you. And I think I think I, it's clearly directed by someone. That's that's maybe a strange thing to say, but for all the reasons you're talking about, sometimes the director in a voice recording session in games is more a project manager, right? Like they just mm -hmm. we have X line and it needs to be slotted in here and there. And like you said, there are technical constraints, and it's right. a wonder when someone can pull it off. Uh, Mass Effect's a great example. I think Jennifer Hale, who is the the female version of Commander Shepard. Uh, does a really good job modulating the reactions, whereas the yes. actor who does male Shepard, you know, for, for whose name I can't think of, and I'm not, I'm not disparaging him. It's a really, really hard thing to do. But like, if you do a couple of Paragon lines and a couple of Renegade lines as Bro Shep, uh, mm -hmm. you get the sense that you're playing as a deeply unstable person <laughs> who can just like veer wildly from sweetness to anger. Um, right. It's really, really hard to end up with anything but that, unless you are using linearity. And you, you've, you've been using linearity and sort of text-based games for a while you have a, a twine game that i'll link to that um it, is this a spoiler it's like a formal spoiler there's only one choice and it's at the very very end and that's sort oh of sure yeah yeah um that's not really a spoiler i mean i i, I actually gave a, a talk at gd a micro talk at gdc about about this structure um and that that story that you're thinking about the arboretum mm -hmm. um is kind of a it's kind of like a small scale model version of the design of Eliza where it is linear for most of the way and then suddenly at the very very end it gives you a choice and in the case of the arboretum a, it says you have a choice <laughs> and like right it's, exactly it's very, so, very it suddenly like moment, says yeah. you have a choice after the entire rest of the game just being this thing that you could it's see. jarring as hell and effective it's like a book suddenly like talking to you verbally you know it's it or saying you sitting there right you know what i mean it breaks the fourth wall in a sense a fourth wall you weren't even really thinking about being there <laughs> since it is after all a game you're right yeah i i'm i'm, I'm kind of interested in that structure i i, I mean i've done it two times already i guess but like i think that that it's for for in in game design we often kind of there's this unexamined notion that like more choices is better because mm. um because interactivity is is the defining feature of the medium right like what separates games from anything else it's having a choice therefore more choices is, is just good 
But um, I think that right. because choice is so powerful, precisely because choice is so powerful, let's think about how we use it, and and let's you know let, let's what if we deployed it in, in very very specific ways. And this the this structure of sort of like things being linear for a long time, and then suddenly having a choice, I I enjoy a lot um, creatively because it, what it lets me do is it lets me set up a very complex situation. Um, mm. If you played a game and, and just immediately the choice was like, you know, if you started up Eliza and it was like, should Evelyn go back to work or should she, you know, find a different job, right? That's kind of like what Eliza is asking. But if like that was the first thing that happened, you'd have no context for any of the decisions. You wouldn't know what any of the characters are. You wouldn't know like why she's doing any of this. And so a huge part of that, you know, that first part of the game is actually just like introducing you to everyone and like showing the the history and, and the different considerations. Then when you finally get to the choice, you know, it's a very, very, I think a very interesting choice. It's, um, got a lot of meaning to it there's a lot of like resonances with different things with what you're picking and i think that like deliberating it you know it lets you deliberate on the choice a little bit and, and think about what you want to do as opposed to just like being bombarded with like should should you do this or that um that i think that that's a that's that's something that we could stand to think about more um just like in in interactive design and narrative design in general Definitely. I mean, I, I think about this a lot in the context as well of, you know, not all game designs inherently get more interesting as they get harder. You know, um, you know, th this this is not too applicable to a visual novel, although a little bit. My friend Ian said that Eliza was the most difficult game he'd ever played. Um, because, <laughs> That's you know, really interesting. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, and to, and to be clear to everybody, there's no failure state exactly. And there's no execution challenges in the game. But he just meant like it was very close as far as, you know, being a person roughly our age and working in tech and, and, and all that. Right. Right. But it's emotionally because, difficult. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it feels weighty. But the, the fact that you're not hung up on giving people ch I, I bring up the difficulty thing because I think there's this natural thing of not just to throw a a lot of choices at people because if choices are good then a lot of choices should be a lot of good but also that you need to ramp things up so you start with simple choices and then you get to the more difficult ones the fact that you're not doing that means that instead of having your first day at work be an easy one to set the stakes and teach you the mechanics and whatever you start the first session in a very emotional place and that starts setting the stakes and the table for the really important decisions you'll need to make later the emotionally important decisions yeah you know yeah, I, I, I think when people praise the approach you're talking about they think of it purely as like a clever way to save money which it is also that you have less material you have to write and record and branch and test and whatever but i think it is an unexplored space as far as like just assuming that because a choice is good a lot of choices would be better is, is a huge mistake that's like when stories think well it's sad and effective when a character dies so let's have that happen every episode or something right like it loses right. its effectiveness over time absolutely and and honestly like you know some people have asked yeah why you know why aren't the therapy sessions like a little bit more gamey like why why wouldn't couldn't i have a little bit more like simulation-y kind of uh therapy and it's not because you know it's not because we couldn't do it obviously right like zactronics is is mostly a mechanics driven studio right it's not like doing something like that would be beyond us if we wanted to but i think you can handle a dialogue tree yeah i think that's yeah probably exactly or right or level, even like yeah. a little like simulation of a person right like like maybe a, a a procedurally generated client comes in and they have you know issues x y and z and you have uh, tools a b and c and you can tell them you know like oh maybe this person needs this medication or whatever right like and they're actually getting could, more vocally distressed based on what you're responding based or on your choices right? right and you're like oh i'm i'm actually like really messing up this therapy session or like oh i'm making good choices and, and like oh i prescribed the wrong medicine or whatever right like you could imagine a game like that sure um and i and i did and i decided not to make that game because this is about these very specific people. And when you hear their responses, they're, they're their specific responses. Like they are, they are characters. They're not like these little simulations that the game is doing. They're not because when you do that, you kind of, you, you end up making like a procedural argument, right? You, mm. you, you end up saying like, when someone has condition X, they need drug Y. Like that's like when you make that system, then you're saying that that's what reality is in that system. You're thinking about the meta rather than engaging with the person, and which, exactly. which, would, which would make the same point in a very different way, but is not the point you were trying to make, not the story that's you were trying to tell. Exactly, and I and I wasn't trying to create like a like a virtual like mo I wasn't trying to create a model of of therapy or a model of 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 mental health care or anything like that in the sense of 
like here here's abstractly what to do because that that goes that just goes back to like the thing we were talking about earlier like the dsm and the the cbt manuals it's like if a person an anonymous person archetype comes in and has this problem then you should do this right that's kind of like where that leads and so the the decision to create these characters as like very specific characters who say very specific things and it's completely linear is sort of a an attempt to get away from that and to say look these characters are them they're not going to like do other things based on like what you do they're going to be them and they are these specific um entities that are themselves and and that is the best way i could think of to kind of like bring their humanity into focus because like when you are i mean and that's something that that's sometimes really missing in the healthcare system or uh, in general right like everyone's had the experience of like going to some healthcare, like the hospital or something and, and just feeling like they're being processed, uh, yeah, through yeah. a system. And so I don't, I don't know what the, like the point would be if I just modeled that and then you, but you, you're the one who gets to do the processing of these people. Right. Um, so it's, it's a lot more by, by making it completely linear and sort of removing your choice, I'm sort of repudiating this like systems, approach a little bit at least in terms yeah. of the game game design by saying like look i don't i don't want to like model human beings and 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 give you like this sort of like simulation -y sort uh, sort of gameplay yeah i think because you can easily imagine or at least i i can maybe i'm sick in the head maybe i should see eliza about it um but that's a terrible joke sorry but <laughs> anyway i i can easily i can sort of easily imagine a version of this game that is the zactronics uh, therapy AI simulator 2019 where you do like build you change how it processes language and blah 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 right. and I right. think that would be a much more cynical thing to put out there in the world because your whole the whole the point or a point the game is making is that this is a human problem and there isn't really a systemic solution to it and to approach it purely systemically is a kind of a kind of madness I think I think that that would absolutely have been the like if if I had made like a game that that's like again, like had this like modeling aspect of it, of like people, like you just get into so many unintended procedural arguments. You're like, oh, this is how people work. Um, they, they want to hear this, right? They want, they, if it like by, by having it be like a certain, a, a person with a certain problem always needs this X thing or, or whatever. Um, you, you really do start just like getting into this, getting into the weeds of like this, like now now i'm saying that like people who have these problems all they need is this or like you help them by doing this and you don't help them by doing that and i think if there's anything that i would like people to take away from in terms of like mental health care and the mental health care system um, from this game it's that every person is different every person is really unique and not in a kind of a procedural generation way but like unique in a human way which is um you know, far more complex than I think any kind of procedural generation system you could, you could make, uh, and you could, you could reasonably make in a game, I think. Um, so to that, like to that end, I think it's just, I, I, I really wanted to like get away from that, like, oh, we can just simulate it, uh, approach right, right. right yeah i mean there there are characters in in the game i think who would think of course you can simulate it right like why in the world wouldn't you but i think the game is making the argument that there's values quite specifically in not simulating it right and and engaging with people as other human beings like on a one-to-one -one level that's definitely you know the argument right. that another of the characters makes um which is that like talking to people one-on-one -on -one is the best way it's like to help the world like if you want to help the world do you create a program that millions of people use for this or that purpose or do you just like or, or do you talk to people one-on-one -on -one and, and have like make connections with them right what are what 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 is the best way right i mean it's absolutely i mean and even if you if, if it hadn't been procedural if you had simply designed these more like levels where there was a range of correct or incorrect responses it would have been a very different beast again you know it would have been how yes. you, everyone becomes a little bit of a sociopath when they play persona or the new fire emblem or something because you're trying yes. to tell everyone what they want to hear or something and right. that can be precisely the wrong way to give someone therapy effective therapy and, um, yeah and i just wanted to get away from all that right like as soon as you as soon as you do that then everyone's like looking up what the right answer is like totally. you know everyone's it just like going online and being like what do i say to this person to make them do this um what are the what are the levers that i have to pull to get this person to like be happy and how do i optimize right as soon as you give people like a, a sort of a metric 
uh, especially especially in a game, but anywhere, as, as soon as you, you give people like points or tell them they did a good or bad job, then they're going to do whatever they can to do the good job or to get to, to maximize their points, right? That's why I thought it was so great to take the rating you get out of your hands as a player, right? Like, it right, was, right. It was, you just yeah, you yeah. just can't do it because, like, if if you could, people would min max it. And I know that, like, I'm I'm the same way, right? Like, if I play, if you put me in front of a game, I will try to figure out the game and I will try to like be good at the game. And that's just not the point here, right? That's just right. like what it, what this is not about. So, yeah, that's. Uh, that's the decision that I made to do it that way. And, and I think some people get it and some people, some people don't get it, but, uh, I can't imagine it, you know, working any other way for the, for <laughs> yeah, the thing yeah. that this is trying to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, by the way, did not set an amount of time you wanted to talk. So if you need to get going, that is all good. We've been going okay. for an hour. Yeah. And I think, I feel like an hour is good, right? That's, that's yeah, that's, that's solid. Pretty... I mean, I, I, I will say we didn't talk about like hardly any of your other Zachtronics work, which I'd love to sometime. I mean, Eliza is meaty enough that, you know, that filled an hour very, very comfortably and with amazing stuff. But when I explain this game to people, when, when people say like, you know, have you heard about Eliza say, you know, say I, and they say, well, what is it? If I say, well, it's a Zachtronics visual novel, they say, oh, that's different for them. Cool. And that's kind of the end of the conversation. But if I say right. it's a Zachtronics game and they say, oh, what kind of Zachtronics game? And I nod knowingly and say, you know how the writing and the art and the music, which you also did, we haven't said in Zachtronics games has been great forever and no one talks about it. And generally people say, yeah, kind of, I say, yeah, it's that it's just all that stuff's front and center. It's just that that seems to intrigue people (laughs) like, because that's the thing, right? Zachtronics is known, uh, mimetically, especially if if for people, from people who know it by reputation, but have never played a Zachtronics game as, you know, really hardcore engineering puzzle games, programming games, whatever. Mm -hmm. But there's been a lot Mm -hmm. else going on in Zachtronics games for some time now. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so it's, it's really beautiful to see you guys put out something that that highlights that and and gives your writing a chance to be front and center and all that yeah i'm i was definitely excited to do this um and happy that that it has the chance that you know that it's something that anyone can play like literally anyone people who are not games people i think can play it absolutely my dad is actually really into it right now (laughs) and he's never he's never played a visual novel before he plays he's mostly into older games you know like he plays you know he's replaying a link to the past sometimes whatever but like he hasn't played a new game in a while um and he's really digging it awesome that's great to hear yeah i I really hope that like people who are not normally like like gamers can can find this game and play it like i'm i'm really hopeful that that will happen that, that that people who are not just in this like because games Game, you know, really gamey games are just kind of like they they have a very a really specific audience, and it's kind of easy to forget that when you're in it, when you're in the the, the sphere of like playing games and enjoying games, it's easy to forget that like so t- to some people it's just a it's completely like foreign to their experience, and they have yeah. no idea about any of it. Yeah, the beauty of just getting back to getting back to the basics of interactivity, and like you said, wielding choice carefully instead of overwhelm. Because even some visual novels, it can just be like, well. You know who, which which kid am I going to hang out with after school? Or so this feels this feels like such a blind choice and so immediate, right? That can mm-hmm. be overwhelming. So to to treat it more like a story with very important points, inflection points within the interactivity mm-hmm. that 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 change the meaning and and ex- help you express what kind of Evelyn you want to be and all that. Yeah. It's it's great, and it's especially great for people who are not especially invested in the language of games already. Yeah, that's that's definitely my hope. And and choices that are like signposted clearly of like totally. now this is okay, this is a real important choice. because uh, the other visual novel like design crutch thing is like some really minor thing happens and you make a choice and then it turns out like you like you you ruined your chance of hanging out with them forever or like <laughs> right, right. they die so, or some like some some crazy uh outcome of something that seemed like kind of a, a small choice at the beginning. less about making it a well-made play and more about just making you want to play it a bunch of times to try right and right and figuring it out right exactly figuring it out and yeah and, and that kind of thing and this is yeah. not that no it's not a it's not a clock in that same way or it's not it doesn't it, it i mean it is a clock it's a very well-made instrument but it doesn't encourage you to think of it as one it encourages you to think right. of it as a story yep yeah cool well thank you one more time this was amazing um is it cool if I use a little bit of music from the game for like intros and outros? Absolutely. Awesome. Please um, go ahead. Um, great. You saw the soundtrack is on Bandcamp now. I just saw, yeah. Uh, Zachtronics.bandcamp.com. And yeah, feel feel free to, to use that for this. Excellent. I will do so. Um, great. And I mean, I uh, I don't know what is next as far as what's coming out in the Zachtronics world, but I'd love to have you back sometime if you'd like to do it again. And... Yeah, definitely. I think there's, there's I mean... Um, 
like you said, there's a lot to say about like the narrative design of, of the other Zektronics games as well. That would be, I think that would easily fill another another podcast yeah. uh, if you ever wanted to talk about I would, that. I would that love would to do that. Yeah, Zach, Zach has talked about how like you're sort of involved in level design as well because like the scenarios right. that would make sense in, in, you know, in a world where there's alchemy, you know, to give the Opus Magnum example and stuff like that. That's right, something I would right. love to talk about more sometime. Uh, but for now, I will let you go. Um, have a really good one. Thank you one more time. Thanks for having me. And that's the show. You can find Eliza on Steam, Itch, GOG, and Humble. You can find everything Zachtronics at Zachtronics.com. And you can find all of Matthew's work, Zachtronic and otherwise, at MatthewSeiji.com. That's M-A-T-T-H-E-W-S-E-I-J-I.com. By the way, you can find corrections to a couple of things I screwed up during the conversation, including the origins of the notion of emotional labor, in the show notes. The Everybody's Talking in Once podcast is hosted and produced by me, Drew Messenger Michaels, with support aplenty from Francis Michelle Lopez and Lucio Valentino. Our logo is by Aaron Perry Zucker using icons from the Noun Project, and you can find us on Apple Stitcher, Google Spotify, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Breaker, Radio Public, and in the Skanda Wellness app, as well as at etaopod.com. Wow. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs>